And let's stand up, let's pray, let's get right into the Word of God here this morning. <clears throat> Dear Father, we thank you for the wonderful anointing in the worship this morning. We thank you, Father, for your presence here today. As I come to teach the Word of God, I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach, but I am trusting in you, and therefore I know without doubt that you anoint my mind, that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for supernatural recall of the Scripture, and I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power and love to each person's mind and the sound of my voice, bringing understanding, removing confusion, and that your word will enter every heart, bringing faith, dispelling all fear. And Father, we give you all the praise, honor and glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today, in Jesus' name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Well, we had great worship, did we not? Amen. Amen. A lot of folks have gone away this long weekend, and our worship team's down to half, so they still did a great job. Amen. Um, before we go into the message this morning, at the end of September, Pastor Bev and I will be going to South Africa for our annual celebration there. And uh, we, as you know, we've got 1,300 churches around the world and 84 Bible schools. And the leaders of these churches will be coming together to that celebration in Johannesburg. And I'll be teaching them on the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night. And possibly we'll be teaching them on the Tuesday and the, th and the Thursday night. And uh, this actually starts on the Sunday, the 2nd of October and finishes on Friday, the 7th of October. Now, that will be beamed in here on Sunday morning. You'll have the Sunday morning service here. And then Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday, and Friday, the whole week long in the evening, starting at 7, you'll join us in the evening celebration in, from South Africa. Now, at this celebration, I'm going to be sharing something that's extremely important. Um, this is not part of my message, but I just trust the Lord will give me the wisdom to share this so that everybody can understand what I want to say and what I believe God wants me to say. It's a, a real heaviness on my heart to tell you that the next 24 months around the world is going to be extremely difficult. In fact, I believe that 2004 will be an extremely challenging year and America and the rest of the world is going to change in a way that you will not recognize what we are going to experience. You will not, you'll not have seen it before. Everything is going to change in our world, everything. And uh, I just want to share this with you, 2003 when America and Britain and Australia and a few other countries invaded Iraq uh, with the um, 
uh, was the, the, um, to topple Saddam Hussein. Uh, and um, it was called, what was the name of that war called? Shock and awe, shock and awe. And um, people in the church asked, is this Armageddon? And in fact, my good friend Charles Neiman called me and asked me, is this Armageddon? He's from El Paso, he has a great church there. And the Lord gave me the exact date that that bombing would end. And it ended, it started in, May, it started in, the, in the March and ended in April. About 20 days it was. The Lord gave me the exact date that it would end. And I told the congregation and Charles what day it would end. And it stopped on that exact day. How did I know that? The Holy Spirit told me that. I've had many experiences like that in my life. They're in my book on how to recognize the voice of God. 40 years ago, <clears throat> I began studying end-time prophecy and current world events. Bible prophecy and end-time uh, current world events. And I taught it in South Africa back in those years. Every single seat was taken, and we had a 3,000 tent pitched next to the church, all full, both Sunday morning services. And on the freeway, I had a big sign that said 666, how to avoid the 666 spiderweb of the Antichrist. And that was a series of teaching on end times. So I've been studying the subject of Bible prophecy and current world events for over 40 years. And uh, 10 years before there was any change in South Africa, before the government changed, I told several people that there's going to be a change, that the government will change. A new government will come in and everything will be different in South Africa. And, and no one believed me. But I knew it in my heart. And I told even close family friends, no one believed me. It happened. In 2008, we had a house here in um, Sonterra, and um, we bought the house, and our builder had a gambling problem, and he took our money and lost it at the casino. And so we had to borrow more money than we should have borrowed because we lost our cash. And we ended up borrowing $900,000. And the house, when it was finished built, was worth $1.3 at that time. And in 2008, <clears throat> the Spirit of God told me there was going to be a worldwide bank crash, a run of the banks. And that I need to sell the house, otherwise I'd be upside down the mortgage because all properties are worth half their value. And so I told Pastor Bev that we need to sell this house, otherwise we're going to be in trouble financially. We'll owe 900000 on the house, only worth 500000 And of course, <clears throat> we have moved more than the Israelites moved when they traveled through the wilderness. So... My wife didn't want to move, and she loved the house. So she dug her heels in. Now, you know, 
I could have just sold a house. <laughs> I would have had an unhappy wife. But I decided not to. I had, obviously I had to get her willing consent. So this is in about April. And then in May, her mom, Sheila, came with her husband and stepdad, Rob, to visit us from South Africa. And they own a large uh, commercial industrial real estate company. And they're very successful, always in the newspapers. So I said to them, I said to Pastor Rio, I said, I'm going to ask your mother and Rob what they think about this idea. She said, fine, ask them. So we're sitting in the living room in our home, and I said, Sheila, Rob, I said, the Spirit of God has told me there's going to be a worldwide financial crash in the banks. And many people lose their jobs. The housing market will go up to half its value. And many people will lose their life savings. The stock market will crash. And this is coming now. And God told me to sell this house. Otherwise, you'd be in financial trouble. So, you know, she was one of the people, her and Rob, one of the people I told about the government changing. And a few times I've made predictions. And so now... I thought that there's two options here. One, she's going to say, no, I can't see that ever happening. Or two, yes. Right? There's only two options. For at least a minute, she said nothing. And it seemed like eternity. And then finally, she said, well, Rob, if God told Theo to sell the house, he better do it, don't you think? And he said, it's exactly what I was thinking. So in other words, they believed I heard from God, right? So the Lord told us, what next, Lord? The Lord told me, write in a note on a piece of paper and let your friends know next door that you are moving out of the area. So I wrote a note, stuck it on their door. They were wealthy people. This was a house they owned. They lived in New Mexico. They lived in Mexico City in, in, in Mexico. They had a big jet that they flew in. This is a house, one of their houses that used to come on vacation to, the, to America three times a year for three months of the year. So anyway, I left that notice, and we knew them, we were friends, so I left that notice on their door. And then about a few days later, about a week or so, there was a knock on the door, was an agent. She said, we represent the folks next door, and we stock it up with groceries when they come to town, we make sure that the grass is cut and the whole the house looks good. And uh, we saw the notice on the door. So uh, we've come to ask you if we can bring a client through. He is from Mexico City. He's close friends with these people. They come with their own jet to, uh, to um, San Antonio on vacation with them on occasions. And they want to buy a house in the street to be close to their friends that can come on vacation together. So uh, would you mind if I told this guy from Mexico about your house and could he come and look at it? So I said, sure. Told her how much I wanted. He said they wanted a five-bedroom house, five bathrooms en suite, and they wanted flat. They didn't want a double story. I said, okay, come on in. And uh, we sat in the car and waited. And when they were done, looking at the house. She came out, the agent did, 
with a check. He said, he has a check, $1.2 million. Do you want it or not? And the house is better 1.3. Well, I said, well, is the Pope a Catholic? <laughs> so <laughs> I took the check, and we sold the house a few days after uh, Sheila and Rob left town. And I think it was in the September of the same year, about three months later, that the stock market crashed. There's a run on all the banks, and the whole thing happened. You know what happened in 2008. So the Spirit of God has told me again that there's going, something's going to happen, and I, and I have a good idea of what it is. And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's going to happen on October the 2nd. I'm going to tell this church and Johannesburg Church at the same time. It's not going to be shown on live stream. There's only two places you can see what I'm going to say. That's here and in Johannesburg. It will not be on live stream. You cannot go back and watch on demand. It will not be out there. Now, it's Sunday morning. I'm going to explain exactly what I believe is going to happen. Now, even if Every political position in every city, in every state, in, every, in the government was filled with God-fearing, American-loving people. This problem would not necessarily go away. And I think, in my estimation, there's a 10% chance of it going away. 90% we're going to go and experience this. And you will never recognize the world or America again. Now, this sounds terrible. It is terrible. But Christians can survive and will survive if we follow God's guidance to stay under the cloud. When the children of Israel went from Egypt to Canaan, they stayed on the cloud and all the needs were met. The cloud was the Holy Spirit guiding them. If we'll follow His guidance and do what He tells us to do, and apply the principles that he gives us in the Word of God, we'll win. He's given us certain weapons to use, and we also have to do things in the natural, like Noah built his ark. There are certain things we have to do in the natural to survive and succeed and be successful uh, so that we can be a helping hand and so bring people to Christ. I believe there will be a great revival, even though there's going to be great persecution. There's going to be great persecution, and many of our freedoms, if not all of our freedoms, will be taken from us. So we are going to be creating communities where we can trade with goods and services. I'm going to encourage you to have fruits and vegetables and grow that in your house and yard. We are going to fence this property off this year and we're going to start growing fruit trees and vegetable tree, uh, vegetables and we're going to have, um, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, do a greenhouse effect here and we're going to put down a borehole so we can have water and we've got people in church who understand exactly how to do all this stuff. I don't know how to do all that stuff but there are people here that are very skilled at doing all that. And we're going to work together. We're going to create a team and make this happen so we can provide for our members. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but if we pray 
That's what this is about today. My message is about prayer and the power of prayer. If we pray, we can stop this or change it. But if we don't pray, we're not going to stop it. It's in the hands of the church if we pray. If you know how to apply what you're going to hear today, you and your family will be provided for. But if we all get together and pray, America will be saved. You understand that? Now, I hope, I hope that you take this seriously. I really do. Because it's extremely serious. And I hope that I'm wrong, but I don't believe I am. I'm fully convinced. I've known this for some time. I've been aware of this for some time. The Spirit of God told me, I only want you to teach in the next few months what the church needs to be able to survive the challenge that's coming. And I'm starting today with that series. Only teach what the church needs to survive the challenge that's coming. I know there are a lot of feel-good teachers out there that preach, you know, everything's going to be wonderful, rainbows and ponies. God bless them. But I've got to tell you what God tells me. I've got to tell you. I don't want to stand before the Lord or you one day and you say, why didn't you tell me? So you can see I'm very burdened by this, but I believe we're going to survive and we're going to succeed. Amen. Amen. We're going to follow the Holy Ghost. All right. So the first thing we have to do is know how to pray in tongues. If you can pray in tongues, if you can pray in the Spirit and do so, you and your family will survive and succeed. All right? This is the number one thing you need to do and not fail. Are you ready? Take out your pens and your notebooks or your Bible and write in it. Okay, I'm going to give you 10 reasons why praying in the Holy Ghost is important. And every one of these reasons will benefit us going forward, prepare us, and equip us for what's ahead. All right. Firstly, what is praying in the Spirit? What is it? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, from the Amplified Translation says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. This, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, if I pray, that's me, Paul, in an unknown tongue, that's in other tongues, my spirit is praying. Now the word spirit is interchangeable with heart. Heart and the spirit, the same thing. You are spirit, soul, and body. Or heart, soul, and body. Your spirit is the real you and it looks like you in the physical body. When people die and go to heaven, if you went there now and visit them, you'll recognize them. They look exactly like they did on earth, except they are at the perfect age, around 30 years of old, of age. And they can talk to you. The spirit man looks like the physical man. The soul consists of the will, the mind, and the emotions, and the will and mind and emotions are seated in the spirit man, not the physical man. When a person dies, their body is buried, there's nothing there. The warm mind emotions is in the spirit, and those in heaven can talk to you and reason and have emotions. All right? So, 
Paul said, my spirit prays or my heart prays when I pray in tongues, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. In other words, the mind is not involved. The mind does not participate when someone prays in tongues. Praying in tongues is a gift for everyone, just like salvation is a gift for everyone. This is not one of the, this is not one of the, the um, nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is not one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues is a prayer language that God gives to everybody. Now, we understand that speaking tongues is something we do from the heart or from the spirit. The mind does not participate. It's not involved. That means you cannot pray in tongues in your mind. You cannot pray in tongues in your mind. It's not possible to pray in tongues if your mouth is closed. It's not possible to think in tongues. It's not possible to speak in tongues if your tongue is not moving, right? Say this, praying in tongues is an expression of my heart through my mouth. Again, praying in tongues is an expression of the spirit man through the mouth. All right, now the next verse is verse 15. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And verse 15 says, Then what am I to do, Paul asks? I'll pray with my spirit or with my heart. By the Holy Spirit that's within me, he gives us the unction, makes it possible. But I'll also pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. So circle the word heart or spirit and circle the word mind. So Paul says, I can pray with my spirit and I can pray with my mind, right? I will sing with my spirit in tongues. Or I can sing with the understanding like we did this morning. Intelligently with my mind. That's what Paul said. We are spirit beings and the spirit of man needs to fellowship with God. This means I can pray in tongues but I can also pray in my home language and ask God for what I need in the name of Jesus and he will give it to me. So I can say, Father, I need so-and-so in the name of Jesus. I'll ask you for it, and he'll give it to me. I'm praying with my mind with the understanding. But I can pray in tongues as well. Both are acceptable and both are blessed. Therefore, we can lift our hands and sing in our heavenly tongue, and we can sing in our understanding as well. Now, modern theologians will try and tell us, those who do not speak in tongues, that Speaking in tongues is a gift to help missionaries learn foreign languages on the mission field. Now, if that were true, if speaking in tongues is a gift to help missionaries learn foreign languages, then they would know it with the mind and they would be operating in the mind with these foreign languages learning these foreign languages. So it can't be that because the Bible says clearly the mind is not participating, right? Now, do we need to pray? Is that a good question? Because some people think that it makes no difference. Some people think it's not necessary otherwise because God's running everything anyway. 
if God's running everything, then we don't really need to pray. And some of the Christian movies around will tell you when something goes wrong that this is God's plan for your life. And you need to accept that and submit to his will. These tragedies that come our way are God's plan to mold us and make us and whatever it is. It's nonsense. I'd rather hear a donkey braying at midnight and it's in barn. Or a dog barking outside my window all night while I'm trying to sleep. I'd rather hear that. That's not true. God's not doing that. No, God's not running everything. If God were running everything, he'd force everybody to get saved because it's not the will of God that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, right? If God is running everything, he'd force everybody to go to church on Sunday. If God is running everything, he'd force every Christian to pay tithes and he'd force people to stop stealing and stop lying and stop doing bad things. If God is running everything, the only people God is in control of are those who are surrendering to him. So we are living in a hostile world with hostile people who do not want to know God and do not want to obey God. There's plenty of them around. Probably only 40% of America are God-fearing Christians. People who don't want to know God, don't want to obey God, are actually under the control of demons and influenced by Satan and demons. They're unsafe folks don't realize it, but they are under the influence of demons. These people are working unconsciously towards establishing the throne of the Antichrist, the one world dictator the Bible talks about, a one world dictator who will rule the world, and they are unconsciously working towards that one world government. They are controlled by demons and don't realize it. If God were running everything, he would force everyone to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior today. If God would run everything, then God would be responsible for all the bad things happening in our world today, and he's not. If God were responsible for all the bad things happening in our world today, then the devil would be out of a job. Satan is very active in the world. We are surrounded by hostile forces. Satan is the one responsible for the turmoil, the violence, the crime, and the hatred in the world today. The demons are active. That's why we have these challenges. And here are scriptures to prove to us that the Bible, the Bible tells us that the unsaved are under the influence of demons. Now, I could give you about six scriptures. I'm going to give you three. Please write these down and look at it so that you understand that the unsaved are under the control of Satan and demons. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 tells us that Satan is the God of the unsaved. Satan is the God of the unsaved. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Write that down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that Satan is controlling the actions of every unsaved person on the earth. Satan is controlling the actions of every unsaved person on the earth. That's in the Bible, Ephesians 2, verse 2. 1 John 5 verse 19 tells us that the whole world, the whole unsaved population, is under the sway and influence of the wicked one, Satan. That's 1 John 5 19. I can give you another three, but three is enough. 
The Bible tells us that of two or three witnesses, let every truth be established. That means it's a Bible doctrine if you get three scriptures. Okay? Now, it's obvious that we must pray. It's obvious we must pray. The increase of evil in this world today is a result of passive Christianity. Christians have not been praying as they should have. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And he said, if the salt loses its flavor, how will the world be salted or tempered? In other words, if we don't affect them to come to Christ, if we don't, how will it happen? You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how will they be salted? Then Jesus said, the salt then is good for nothing, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Trampled underfoot by men. That means the folks that we don't want to Christ will persecute us and walk on us. So Jesus is saying, if you don't witness to them and bring them to Christ, they'll persecute you. That's all he's saying. You are the salt of the earth. He's saying, if you don't witness them, they'll persecute you. And that's where we're going now. That's where this world is going. I personally believe we're on the brink of the tribulation period. We're on the brink of the tribulation period right now. So, Psalm 50 verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. So there God says, call on me in the day of trouble. Are we going into the day of trouble? I believe so. But God said, call on me in that day and I will, what? Deliver you. I'll not abandon you. I will, what? Deliver you. You got it? Now we can look at other scriptures like that. There's many scriptures to bring comfort to us. So when you see these things happen, you don't have to be afraid. When Goliath came out and beat his chest, the Israelites on the other hill ran away and hid in the tents, the army of Israel. But David ran up to him, a 17-year-old shepherd boy, and took him out. Right? The whole army of Israel was afraid. They couldn't even look at Goliath. But David ran to him and took him out. David wasn't afraid to look at the giant, and he wasn't afraid to take the giant. Now, we, if we understand that God's on our side, if we understand our weapons, we will be able to look at the problem and face the challenge and beat it. Are you with me? We're not going to run away and hide in our tents. There's one scripture we must understand. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Now, can we trust God to do that? Well, let me ask you this question. If you had to ask your friends over for dinner, and then when they arrive, you go outside, and you say, hey, John and Joy, so glad you guys came, but we don't have any dinner for you. We didn't make anything. We're just joking. We don't really want to give you dinner tonight. How would they react to that? They believed you and came for dinner, but you didn't have any dinner made. That's like Jesus and the Father saying, hey, nudge, nudge, look at that. They actually believe we're going to answer them in the day of trouble. Ha, 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 we're not going to do that. We're just joking. Would God do that? No. 
And would you not invite your friends and not feed them? Would you do that? No. So if you won't invite your friends without feeding them, why would God say, call on me and have no intention of helping us? He will help us. So then, if I call on God in a day of trouble, He will help me. He will deliver me. Amen. One dear desperate soul prayed this way. Dear God, if I were you and you were me, I would help you out of this mess. Therefore, I know you're going to help me out of this mess. You see that little boat there? Looks like he's in a mess with that 200-foot wave coming down on top of him. And sometimes we feel like that little boat, the 200-foot high wave coming down on us. But God said, call on me in that trouble, and I will deliver you. Amen? All right. Now, reason number one, we must pray in spirit, pray in tongues is, and why, here it is, why praying in the spirit is important. We can pray specifically for those we are discipling to grow spiritually. We can pray specifically for those we are discipling to grow spiritually. Now, Jesus said the last thing he said before he left, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of every person, right? Go make disciples of every person. That was not a recommendation. That was an instruction. And if we had done that, he would have come back by now, and we would have all been singing in heaven, praise God, right? Hallelujah. The world would have been a different place than it is today. So I'd like to ask you, but I want you to put your hand up. How many of you are discipling somebody? How, don't put your hand up. How many of you are discipling somebody? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> I'm just asking you to think about it. Do not put your hands up. Are you discipling somebody? Are we obeying the last, most important instruction Jesus gave us? That's the question. And the next question is, have you ever discipled anybody? Because guess what the Lord is going to ask you when you stand before him? How many of you can guess? That question's not going away. The miles will get ready for it. Amen. All right, Galatians 4 verse 19. New King James translation. Paul writes to the church to Galatia and he says, My little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. And what's that all about? My little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now we know men cannot have babies. What's this all about? Now when you read that, you probably think, well, he has children from his wife, his wife died, maybe he does. No, he's not talking about that. He didn't have any children physically. He's talking about those he led to Christ. And he says, my little children, for whom I labor and birth. So what's that about, labor and birth? He's talking about intense praying in the Spirit for their salvation. Intense 
praying in the spirit for their salvation. It was like giving birth in the natural realm. Fervent, intense, groaning in the spirit, allowing the Holy Ghost to pray for the salvation of people. So notice that word, again. Put a circle around again. For whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That means I prayed fervently initially for you to get saved. And now I'm praying the second time for you to grow spiritually. For spiritual development. Until Christ is formed in you. That the nature and character of Jesus can be seen in you. What's the nature and character of Jesus? Love, peace, faithfulness, joy, holiness, godliness, righteousness. These, this is the character and nature of God. What's the character and nature of the devil? Hatred, strife, uh, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, greed. All those things are the nature of the devil, right? We were like that. We got changed. Our heart got born again by the life of Christ coming in. Colossians 4.12. Now, remember what we just read over here in Galatians 4 verse 19. Paul interceding by praying in tongues for them to get saved and then to grow. Now, look at Colossians 4.12. Here Paul writes the church of Colossae, and he says, Ephraim, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Ephraim, who is one of you. That means... Ephesus comes from Colossae. I'm writing this letter to the church of Colossae. Ephesus comes from there. It says, Ephesus is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. He is your pastor. I'm writing to you, and Ephesus, your pastor, is here with me. All right? And he greets you. Now he says about Ephesus, he's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That's the same phrase that he used in Galatians 4.19 that he's using here, right? Why is he praying? What's the reason? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He's praying for them, for the church, that each individual would collectively and individually as well, collectively and individually as well, walk in the perfect will of God for their lives. So he's getting this accomplished by praying in other tongues for them, by groaning and intercession and travail and giving birth, laboring in prayer with that intensity of a mother giving birth. So he's praying, and this causes the effect of the entire congregation of Colossae to walk in the purpose of God for their individual lives and collective lives. So that's very similar then, isn't it, to what Paul said in Galatians. Paul prayed in church in Galatia, for the church in Galatia until Christ is formed in them. And then Ephesus prayed in the church in, Col for the church in Colossae that they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Therefore, we can see God is instructing us to pray in the Spirit for the new converts to grow spiritually. If your prayers are needed by me and the pastors, and you need our prayers as pastors, then surely the new converts need our prayers as well. 
God uses the description of giving birth to help us understand that this kind of intense, fervent groaning in prayer in a heavenly language gives birth to God's plan for our life and, and for the lives of others. So that intense praying in the Spirit gives birth to God's plan for my life and the lives of others. Now, I have found in my own personal life that when I pray in tongues for an hour, that I'm rowing in the boat across the lake, the sails are up, but I'm rowing. And then when I get past the first hour, I sense a breeze coming, the sails begin to fill out, and I don't have to row as hard. And the longer I pray, the more the breeze becomes a wind, and I can put my oars in the boat, and the breeze or the wind will take me across the lake effortlessly. The longer I pray in tongues, the less effort is needed, and the more I find I'm being carried in prayer and don't have to even think about it. And eventually, I have to stop because time runs out. So I'm saying to you, you're not going to enter this realm or dimension of praying if you're going to pray five minutes. It's not going to happen. And there are times, excuse me, when the Holy Spirit will call you to pray and you'll have a burden. You'll have a, a, a burden in your heart and you can't not pray. You just have to get alone and pray. It'll just come right out of you immediately. That does happen. When tragedy is about to happen or something serious, God will call you to pray. Respond immediately. Respond immediately. The greatest blessing in our lives is when God gives you a burden to pray because something great is going to be uh, birth or something tragic is going to be avoided. So listen to the Holy Ghost when that happens. Now, when we pray like that, we're giving birth to God's plan for our life, the church, for San Antonio, for America, and for the world. God's purpose will be fulfilled. Now remember, this is one man, his name is Ephraim, and he was able to pray in such a way that the entire church membership would walk in the perfect plan of God. Not just the acceptable plan, but the perfect plan. So if Ephraim could play, pray for the whole church to walk in the perfect plan of God, then you can certainly play, pray for yourself to walk in the perfect plan of God. You can pray for yourself, you can pray yourself into submission into the will of God. I like to say this, and you can say it with me if you want. Dear Holy Spirit, pray me into submission to the will of God for my life. And then you pray in tongues. Pray me into submission. Now, if you'll do that, Beware of this. Something's going to happen. You'll find out the things that were important to you that would distract you from God's plan for your life will become unimportant. And the things of God will become a lot more important. And you'll find out that your desires will change. The desires of things that are not important will go away and the, eternal, the desires for eternal things of God will become important to you. You will change the Holy Ghost will change you, will change your will and your desire from inside out. Things that you were addicted to will fall away from your life. Because the Holy Ghost 
will change you. Just like the Holy Ghost prayed through Ephesus for the church of Colossae, so you can allow the Holy Ghost to pray for you that way, for your family that way, and for the church members that way, and for the people you're discipling, you can pray that way. Is this making sense? Okay. And also, if there's a specific area in your life, we are not sure about God's plan, what to do, a decision you have to make. You can say this, dear Holy Spirit, let's do it, dear Holy Spirit, dear Holy Spirit please help me please now to intercede for this situation, that your plan will become clear to me and come to pass. Amen. Again, that your plan will become clear to me and come to pass. And God will carry you in that way. He'll carry you down that road. And then while you pray, you can say this. When you're praying in tongues, say this. Dear Holy Spirit, thank you. I receive your guidance. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I receive your guidance. Just stop every now and again and say that. And make sure you have a pen and paper with you because God will talk to you. He will talk to you. He sent the Holy Spirit to you to show you things to come. John 16, 13. Say this, the Holy Spirit was sent to me to show me the future. That's in the Bible, John 16, 13, right? God will guide you when you pray in tongues. Romans 8, 26 says, the Holy Spirit himself makes an intercession for us according to the will of God. According to the will of God. He prays for us to bring about the will of God in our lives. Now, that's Romans 8, 26 and 27. The next verse, 28, and we know. The word and means I'm not done speaking about this subject. And we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. When you pray in tongues, everything works together for your good. Everything. God will change circumstances to bring about blessing in your life. What the devil meant for harm, God will change it and bring blessing to you. You understand that? The devil sent a giant, but God sent David to take him out. And what happened? David became famous because of that. And he was made the general in charge of the army of Israel under King Saul. So the challenge, instead of destroying David, promoted David. Here's the key. If you let the Holy Ghost take charge of your life, good things will happen. They'll stop the bad from happening. Amen? Colossians 4.12 said that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Say this, when I intercede in tongues, God fixes everything. Again, when I intercede in tongues, God fixes everything. So it doesn't matter what's coming down the road. That's what we are learning here today. If you know how to pray in tongues and you see that giant wave coming and you pray in tongues and, and, and fall on your face and intercede with your family, God will stop that wave somehow, make it disappear. He will deliver you, child of God. He will deliver you. 
You see, the Holy Ghost will unction the prayer. He'll pray through you. And then the Holy Ghost that prayed the prayer will go and answer the prayer he prayed. So that when I pray in tongues, the Holy Ghost who unctions the prayer and prays through me will go ahead of me and answer the very prayer that he prayed through me. Amen. Say this, when, I, when the Holy Spirit, when I pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit takes charge. Again, when I pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit takes charge. What does that mean? That means you will see blessing, spiritual, mental, social, financial, family blessing. Because we are giving the Holy Spirit the opportunity to organize, to plan, to arrange everything in our lives. That means He'll stop the danger, protect you from harm. That's what it means. Now, I want to tell you a story at this point, but there's no time left. So I'll continue next weekend with the story. That's where I'll start from, the story. Amen? I'm going to share some personal experiences with you in this series as examples. And God is going to help us understand the power that we unleash by praying in tongues, the protection for our family, and the blessing that comes our way in spite of what the devil is planning in his end times. In spite of all that, Jesus said he's coming back for a glorious church. Are you part of that? Are you part of that? He's coming back for a glorious, triumphant church. He's not coming back for a defeated church. Yes, the Antichrist will be running around. And yes, there will be chaos and turmoil. But the church will be triumphant and victorious individually and collectively. If we apply the principles that God's given us to succeed and win. So God told me, prepare the people now. Only teach messages that will equip them for what's coming. Are you okay with that? All right.